0: Welcome back to the facts about PACs. I'm Adam Belmar. Today, because we know you need it, a 2022 midterm election update with our good friend and trusted source, Jim Ellis of Ellis Insight. We'll get you through all the headline news from this week's primary election races and a fresh take on the balance of power we might expect in the 118th Congress. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAB activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And joining me now is the Jim Ellis. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs, Jim. Well, thank you, Adam. It is great to, for all of us to gather around the political campfire with you and get up to speed. Right off the bat, it's not like we didn't know that these races were coming, but what actually happens in the process behind it is so important for all of us to understand. So I want to ask you first, will you take us inside the great state of Alaska and its at-large congressional district primary? There was no incumbent there, Jim Ellis.
1: Well, they actually had two elections on that day. As we remember back in March, Congressman Don Young, who'd served since 1973 and was the dean of the House, passed away. And so on August 16th, they had the not only the regular primary, but also the special election to fill his seat. And Alaska has adopted this new system. And several states, California, Louisiana, and Washington, uh, has this jungle primary system. And that means that all the candidates are on the same ballot in the primary, and the top two, regardless of political party affiliation, advance to the general. Alaska now has a similar situation, but they send the top four. And so that's what we saw on Tuesday night. Now, because of the whole rural situation and extreme rural situation in Alaska, they allow ballots to come in all the way to August 31st. So it's going to be a while before we know what happens. So in this system, the top four people go into the general election and then If nobody gets 50 percent, which is likely with four people on the ballot, we go to this ranked choice system that some states have begun and cities have begun to use. I don't like it. I think it's an unfair system, but that's what they did. And so what we've got now in the special election, and so the winner of that will take the seat probably right after September 2nd, because Alaska election officials say they will certify the special election on September 2nd. And so once that election is certified, then that winner will be sworn into the House. Then they go to the November regular election for the final two year term. So really, the special election, the, the individual will serve the final two months of Don Young's term or at three, I guess it would be. And um, then we have a whole new election to decide and rank choice system to decide who will serve in the future. So there's Um, a lot going on there, and we know
0: one of these names who is heavily favored right now, potentially, that is the former governor, the former vice presidential nominee on the Republican ticket, Sarah Palin, and she's running concurrently for the special to sit in until the 118th is seated, and then the actual replacement for that two-year term. Do you want to dig in any more for everybody listening about ranked choice
1: voting here? Oh, yes, because this is a very complicated system. So what is happening here in this special election? They didn't they had four that qualified, but one of the four decided to drop out. And so then it's three of them. So the three contenders are the Democrat Mary Peltola. She is a former state representative, Sarah Palin and Nick Begich, the third. And he's running on the Republican line. In fact, he is actually the endorsed, officially endorsed Republican candidate by the Alaska Republican Party. Nick Begich, his grandfather with the same name, actually was a Democrat House member and was killed in a plane crash in 1972. But even as a dead man. He beat Don Young in that 72 election. So Don Young then won the special election after he had lost to a dead man and uh, was then served ever since. So what happens at this point now is Begich is in third. Palin is in second. And it looks like she's about 5,000 votes ahead of him. So they estimate about 82 percent of the expected vote is already in and counted. So that means that would translate into about 30,000 votes, maybe, maybe as many as that still outstanding to, to come in and be counted. And baggage would have to get like 62% of the, those that voted for a Republican, either he or Palin. And he only received 46% so far. So he, he is not going to make it. So Palin will then get that most important second slot. The Democrat gets the first slot because she consolidated the Democratic vote, but that's only 38 percent. So 62 percent of the people actually voted for a Republican. So what happens then is if when baggage is eliminated, they have to go in and find every ballot that ranked baggage as f- their first choice. So everybody was supposed to rank the people one, two and three. Then they take just those ballots, second choice and add it to the aggregate count. So and he'll have about 54,000 votes, I, I estimate. Palin is about 9,000 votes behind the Democrat Peltola. So that means she's going to need about two thirds of the people that voted for baggage to have put her as the second choice. And considering they're all Republicans at this point, that there's a pretty good chance that happens. But What lawyers have told me who have been in these lawsuits in other states like Maine that instituted this have challenged this system because, you know, in my opinion, and this has been argued but courts have rejected, some people get two votes in the system and others don't because the people that voted for Nick Begich actually get a second choice. They get a do-over. Nobody else does in this system. That's That's the problem I've got. The courts have ruled that's not true. And, and so, what's what's but what we have found in these lawsuits, and particularly in this, this situation where it's brand new to these voters, people don't fill out the ballots right. So, a lot of people think uh, you'll see a lot of people probably would have voted baggage one first, second. Well, in the say the three rounds, they would have voted him number one each time. Well, guess what happens then after the first vote is counted, that ballot's rejected. And so if you've messed up the ballot, which is easy to do in this complicated system, look how long it's taken me to explain it, let alone if someone is doing this for the first time. So I think that's Palin's biggest problem is there may be enough ballots there that get disqualified in the second round to deny her the seat. Mathematics would suggest that she wins. But the big question is how many ballots will be disqualified? So I think it's going to be real tight, but we probably won't know until September 1st and i think for another day uh we
0: will convene on the topic of ranked choice voting it's an interesting movement and Academic exercise that's becoming operational, but let's stick to our charge of giving this audience our election update. Yes. Wyoming was a place that also oh, had yes.
1: some very interesting doings. Bring us up to speed in Wyoming, Jamelis. Well, as we all know, Liz Cheney was defeated and defeated badly. She lost to Harriet Hageman, who was Trump's endorsed candidate by a 66 to 29 cut. But, Adam, it's even worse than that, really, for her among Republicans. Because if you look at the Democratic turnout, only 7000 people voted in the Democratic primary. And remember, Cheney was asking Democrats to come into the Republican Party to vote for her. I think a lot of them did because the turnout was down 69 uh, percent from the last midterm election. And I, I think a lot of that number voted in the Republican primary for her as she asked That means her numbers among just pure Republicans were even worse than 29. So it was it was a thorough uh, lashing of her and rejection. So Harriet Hageman becomes the new member. And um, it was it was quite an election. And what that all meant is of the 10 members of the, the 10 Republicans that voted for the last Trump impeachment, the most that will return to the next Congress is two because four didn't run. Four now, including Cheney, have been defeated in the Republican primaries, and the only two that survived, David Valadale in California, Dan Newhouse in Washington, they're the only two that advanced to the general election. They did so both in jungle primaries, and both of them got less than 30 percent of the vote. Jim, let's try and whip
0: around the rest of the country. Over the last two weeks, we've had primary elections in Minnesota, in Connecticut, in Vermont, and in Wisconsin. There's a lot to keep your eye on. We don't have to do it because you do it for us. And everybody should be reading everything that Jim Ellis is doing at ellisinsight.com. Bring us up to speed in these four states, Jim.
1: The Connecticut Senate race was interesting. A lot of people think that Senator Richard Blumenthal might be Vulnerable, And, you know, there's always a surprise Senate race, and some people believe this might be the one. And the winner of the Republican primary was the Trump-endorsed candidate, Leora Levy. She was nominated as ambassador to Chile by Trump, but never got a hearing and because the votes just weren't there for her. So she never even got a hearing or a vote to become ambassador. So she is in the Senate race. That might be one to, to take a look at. Minnesota, we've got a couple of congressional races there that that could be interesting, at least one, another close one with Congresswoman Angie Craig and uh, the Republican Tyler Kistner, both of them, that'll be a rematch, was real close last time. Kistner might have a shot to win it this time. Uh, Vermont, you're going to have an easy Senate race for Congressman Peter Welch to replace The retiring Patrick Leahy. Wisconsin was the big election that night. So you're going to have a real tight race for governor, real tight race for U.S. Senate. Senator Ron Johnson up again. Interesting things about him. He polls very poorly and there was a poll out last day or so that had him down to the lieutenant governor who won the Democratic primary, Mandela Barnes. Johnson was losing 50 to 46. This is nothing new for him. The last time he was on the ballot in 2016, there were 30 polls run of the Senate race. And Johnson was behind in 29 of them and wins the race by three points. So him only being down by four points is actually like a lead for him, I think. <laughs> but but this is a key race, and so is the governor's race. To Keep an eye on the governor's race polled actually even closer than that. So it, we've got some real interesting races coming up, and we're going to be inundated with polling and commercials from now until November the 8th.
0: And ultimately, the parlor game is to try and figure out whether any of the things that you've shared with us so far bring a balance of power for the 118th congress into focus any better and one element that might be pivotal here is what's going on in pennsylvania we didn't really see anything but headlines and posturing and political elements but the democratic candidate there the lieutenant governor john fetterman who is recuperated to some extent from a stroke over the early summer is just hammering away at former New Jersey native Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz. Is this Senate race slipping away from the GOP?
1: It appears to be. Fetterman has a big lead in the polling now. You know, he's recovering from this stroke. He, he had his first public appearance here last week since the stroke. It was very serious. I mean, it was caused by a blood clot to his heart. He's lucky to be alive, let alone still campaigning for the Senate. So, um it looks like he's in the driver's seat. I think Oz has just not performed well as a candidate. Pennsylvania tends to elect more Democrats than Republicans. The one thing I think that Republicans have going for them there is if the if the primary turnout is a precursor to what may happen in the general, that is could be huge because the Republican turnout in Pennsylvania, when you compare it with the last midterm there in twenty eighteen, was up ninety two percent, almost double. Almost twice as many people voted in the Republican primary. And if you then compare it to the 2020 presidential, actually more people voted in this Republican primary in Pennsylvania than even in the presidential race. And that just never happens. So that's telling us something's afoot in Pennsylvania. If Republicans had better candidates for Senate and governor, I think we'd see a different story. But Fetterman looks like he's the right candidate for the Democrats. And I think Oz is the wrong one for Republicans at this point. It could change, but they're going to have to right the ship in a major way quickly.
0: So as I move ever closer to asking you for the insight about balance of power, it does leave probably all of our politicos listening wondering. There was a headline this week that the NRSC is doubling down in Ohio. Any words about the J.D. Vance campaign and what this investment or double down portends? Do you see it that
1: way? Ohio is a must win for the Republicans. I mean, they have no chance at the majority majority. majority if they lose Ohio. Uh, Vance is another one that maybe hasn't performed as quickly. You know, there's been several polls, about eight of them in a row, that had Tim Ryan with a very small lead, the congressman there, the Democratic congressman. Keep in mind, he's been on the airwaves and spending like $8 million on ads, and the Republicans and Vance have done nothing. Now they're just starting. And in fact, now that they've they're beginning to join the battle because they didn't have as much resources as the Democrats do in this one. And the, the first poll after they countered had Vance back up by three. Here's what's going to happen in Ohio. This race will be very close until the last two weeks. And then one of the candidates is going to pull away. And chances are it's going to be Vance because that's typically what Ohio does. And so the fact that he was getting shut out really on the airwaves and was still within the margin of error on every poll I think that's a pretty good sign for Vance and I would think he does pull this out
0: so if you take a look at all of the things that are coming into focus and how these races are setting up is the conventional wisdom holding true for you that we're likely to see a flip in control of the house and alternatively is there a very real risk of stasis in the Senate
1: Uh, Yes, in the House, I think the Republicans do take the majority there. Uh, It's not going to be some 40-seat landslide like a lot of people think. I I think that's unrealistic, and particularly in a redistricting year when the districts stabilize. You don't see the big swings in a redistricting year. Now, this is really only the fourth time since 1930 where we've had a first-term president first midterm in a redistricting year, and things change in that. So you're less likely to see the big swing. The model I have is based on a gain of 24 seats for the Republicans. Keeping in mind, they only need maybe as few as three, depending on how these last special elections turn out, the one in Alaska we talked about and the one coming up in New York, where Republicans have a shot to win that. They could be only three seats away. Keep in mind, though, too, the other thing you have to reduce... On their conference number, is that of the states that lost congressional seats, and there are seven of them, in six of the seven instances, the Republicans are going to take the hit on that. So instead of being around 214 or 215 when you need to get to 218, take it back to 208 or 209 and then build from there. And if you add 24 seats on top of that, they're in the low 230s. And I think that's where it turns out, but that's more than enough to have a solid majority. So I think that's what happens in the House in the Senate is, is much tougher. It always has been, and we talked before when I've been on that the map does not favor the Republicans here, although either side only needs one seat. So let's say Pennsylvania's gone. That gives the Democrat the one seat they need for an outright majority. And then we get down to some of the other key states, the Ohio, Florida, and Wisconsin that we spoke of. You know, I think all those come through for the Republicans, and then we look at the Democrats who And keep in mind on Wisconsin, Florida, and Ohio, the Republicans under poll. They consistently under poll there. They always perform better than the polls suggested. And if they're even or ahead, they're, they're going to win. And then we look at some of the races, the four key races that the Democrats have to defend. Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, Nevada. Arizona and Georgia, I don't think, look that good for Republicans. Now, if you look at the Herschel Walker situation in Georgia, this is another state, like Pennsylvania, where the Republican primary turnout was off the charts. In fact, it was even bigger than Pennsylvania's increase. It was 110% bigger than 2018's midterm. And like Pennsylvania, more people voted in the Georgia midterm election than voted in the Georgia presidential primary. And again, this just does not happen. So that tells us there's an underlying reason there. Brian Kemp is doing very well in the governor's race, surprisingly so, in my opinion. And, you know, maybe that carries Walker over the finish line. But my guess is not that Senator Warnock probably holds that. And then that comes down to the Republicans having to win both New Hampshire and Nevada, both of which are possible. And if that's the case, they lose Pennsylvania, hold everything else they've got, gain New Hampshire, gain Nevada, then they have the one-seat majority. But I think either side, it's going to be about 51.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, this entire game of politics is not for the faint of heart. Everybody's walking on a knife's edge. And I want to give everybody in our Facts About PACS audience something actionable, something prescient to look forward to. In the week that comes, we are going to have contests in Florida, New York, and Oklahoma. How should we be thinking about that, Jim Ellis?
1: Oh, let's start with Florida. Florida. Lots of races there. Now, the Florida map, the new redistricting map, is the best in the country for the Republicans. And they could gain as many as four seats just out of Florida. That alone could flip the majority to them. So there's a dozen races that we would look at on on both sides in terms of primaries because the districts have changed so much. We got Matt Gates has a serious primary challenger from Mark Lombardo, who is a former FedEx executive. He was on the ground floor of the FedEx corporation. And, you know, I think he's got a reasonable chance of defeating Gates. I mean, he's running as being just as conservative as Gates, but you know, he's hitting Gates on the whole sexual impropriety investigation that he's under and the other thing he's attacking him on is not paying enough attention to the district as he goes around the country being a national congressman. That may work. That may work for Lombardo. And he's thrown a million dollars of his own money in there to be able to compete in a small media market. You know, he could that that might be one to watch. And then we've got some some other interesting races in the Charlie Crist seat. Charlie Crist, again, running for governor. Uh, I think Charlie Crist has a record record. I think he may be the only person who has lost a statewide race as a Democrat, a Republican and an independent. And he's actually in a surprisingly tough primary for him against the uh, state ag commissioner who's way left, uh, Nikki Freed. In fact, Freed, Produced a poll this last week that showed her up and then Chris quickly countered showing him up, but not by much. And so I think that's one to watch and could be fun. And then the winner gets Ron DeSantis in the general election with uh, what's he got? One hundred and thirty five million in the bank, I think, Adam, literally something like that. He is a uh, steamroller right now. He is a steamroller and it's going to drive turnout that the, the, the Sanus operation will drive the turnout that helps everybody else down ticket. And I think them picking up a net of four seats in the general election is very, very possible. The Empire State, New York is is crazy as always. And actually, this is the second New York primary because the court threw the redistricting map out the Democrat gerrymander, which was the worst in the country. The new map is much more reasonable and... Therefore, because it came so late and came after the filing deadline that the court rejected it and made it and redrew it, New York had to have two primaries. So we have a primary coming up on Tuesday just for the U.S. House and the state Senate, which was in that situation, too, where their Senate map was thrown out. And we've got a very active primary night on on both sides. So you have a lot of changing, a lot of people running in different positions. We got an interesting Democratic pairing between Congressman Gerald Nadler and Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney in Manhattan there. Both of them have served for hundreds of years. and Literally, both of them have been in office since the late 70s, when you count their time either in the State Assembly or at the City Council and then in Congress. And um, I was surprised, really, that Nadler decided to run in, against her as opposed to hop over in this other district, which contained a lot of his current seat that is now open and is a free-for-all. But it looks like Nadler is going to win that primary. The polling suggested he will beat Maloney. So we'll have one more incumbent lose guaranteed on Tuesday night
0: fascinating. And I think it's important for all of us, especially where we're enjoying the dog days of summer. It's about to be done. The kids are going back to school. The pros are out there keeping an eye on all of the numbers, all of the amazing human stories and choices that go on as people are putting their names on the ballot and checking out what kind of electoral process they have and where they're running, right? Between districts and ranked choice voting, a lot of things that are compiling to make this election just a little bit more unique than ones we've seen in the past, Jim Ellis.
1: Yes, this is an interesting midterm election, and uh, we will uh, we have a lot of races to cover here in the next couple of months, and it's going to be a wild election night. Well, Jim Ellis,
0: thank you, as always, for keeping us up to speed here at the Facts About Packs. Everybody, Ellis Insight. Check it out. Ellis Insight. Dot com, And you can subscribe to LS On Air. That's the BiPAC podcast. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks for being with us, Jim. Adam, thanks so much for having me back. And thanks to everybody downloading and sharing this podcast. Subscribe. We'll meet you right back here next week.